All right. Hey, Dad. Hey, daughter. <laughs> Here we are. Is this our fifth or fifth fifth one? Maybe we're getting up there. Yeah. yeah very impressive. Covering all the hot topics. <laughs> I know we really are. Welcome everybody to those near and far um, to the Net Positive Podcast Energy Crash Course. Today we're going to be talking about hydrogen. And our goal in these 30-minute um, crash courses are to really demystify clean energy topics and technologies to make it personal for you at home and to offer some insights into how you can be positively contributing to this movement of decarbonizing our energy system. My name is Sierra Flanagan, and as always, I'm joined by my father, Ted Flanagan. Hi. Hi. Good to be here, Good to be here once again. <laughs> so... Today, we're going to talk about hydrogen, specifically green hydrogen. But first, maybe you can just take us back to chemistry class, Dad. What <laughs> is hydrogen and what is the buzz with it? Why are we so excited about it? Yeah, this is a topic I love. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and talk about hydrogen. But let's start off with, with what is it? And hydrogen, is, as most of us remember from chemistry, is, uh, is the lightest element. It's, um, it's a gas, it's, uh, it's odorless, it's colorless, it's tasteless, it's not toxic, and it's also highly combustible. So it, it's kind of a magical, uh, a magical element that can be used uh, as we shift from carbon, a carbon-based society to a decarbon-based society. Hydrogen is, uh, you, you can't, there's no big coal mine full of hydrogen or no, no pit full of hydrogen. You've got to make it, you've got to, you've got to form it somehow. Uh, but once you do form it, and we'll talk about how do you get it, uh, once you do form it, it's, it's really an energy carrier. It's like a fuel. You can fill up a, a Toyota Mirai, which is the hydrogen fuel cell uh, Toyota, with hydrogen at a, at a hydrogen fueling station, very much like a gas station, very quickly. And, you, and that, that car will use that hydrogen and only water vapor comes out of the tailpipe. So it's a, it's a magical uh, element. Hydrogen is a magical element. And some years ago, my brother and I and Pat Kiernan and a guy named Brady Bancroft, we wrote a book called The, In the Invisible Fire, Hydrogen, The Invisible Fire. It's almost a magical element. Uh, and it's mm -hmm. going to play, I think, a really big role in our future. And you said it's highly combustible, though. I'm thinking of the sun. Is that, does that present a problem or is that the opportunity for energy? No, it's really the, it's the opportunity. Once we've formed hydrogen, let's talk about how we form it. But once we've formed it, we have options for its use. And one thing we can do is we can burn it. We can burn it in a, in a power plant if we want. Uh, we can use it. We can burn it actually to, to cook eggs on a stove, right? I mean, ultimately hydrogen fuel, green hydrogen fuel could replace natural gas. Um, but we can also put it through fuel cells, which is a more sophisticated, more sophisticated means of using it and even a cleaner means of using it. But, but let's talk about where it comes from, right? Let's just back up a little bit. We talked about a little bit about this element. Now, where does it come from? Here's a little bit of a refresher. The air is made up of 78% nitrogen and 21% oxygen, and that makes 99%. And basically you're left up with about 1% of the air that's made up of, there is a little bit of hydrogen in there. There's a little bit of helium, there's neon, there's krypton. There's xenon there, there's some CO2 in there that we all know about. But today, most of the hydrogen that's used, uh, and hydrogen is used in industries for different purposes, most of it's used by stripping hydrogen off of methane. So methane, 
natural gas, CH4, that's one carbon and four hydrogens, and you're stripping, you strip the hydrogen off. Uh, and that's how you, that's off of methane. And that's how most hydrogen is, is produced. And that's uh, not particularly interesting to us because it's still based on a fossil fuel. But what excites me and my colleagues in this space is the new way of creating hydrogen using renewable energy and using electricity through a process called electrolysis, where you literally zap water and water is H2O, you zap water and you get hydrogen and you get oxygen. And you can then use that hydrogen, you can put it into pipelines, you can compress it, you can put it into tanks, and you can use it for all these multiple purposes that we're talking about. I'm having a hard time picturing this process, you know, uh, say with the methane, you know, much less the, the renewables, but how, well, how, to, how do you take this hydrogen away from the methane? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm reminded, and some of my buds from Eastwood School will remember our science teacher, Mr. Knight, Jesse Knight. Who I remember in a science class, he had a beaker of water. Remember the term beaker, just a glass vessel of water. And then he attached two electrodes from a battery uh, to, to the beaker of water. And basically, um, he, the anode from one, the cathode from another. And all of a sudden, that beaker started bubbling. And basically, well, that was electrolysis. And you know, you have to have a sophisticated contraption to capture the hydrogen versus the oxygen, whether you release the oxygen or not. But, but that's that's how electrolysis works, and it's been around for a long time. And what it allows you to do is to use electricity to create and electricity and water to create to create green hydrogen. And the nice thing about this is that we all, as we know now, electricity more and more electricity is coming from the sun and the wind and geothermal and hydro. So it allows us to use renewable electricity to create hydrogen. So would you have a giant electrolysis plant or, you know, well, is this something we can do at scale outside of the science classroom? Well, I, I, I'm glad you asked that because it can happen that you, there are household units and they're, they're rated, you know, like a solar system on a house is rated in kilowatts. So how much capacity do you have? And an electrolyzer, which takes this electricity from your solar or whatever, from your batteries and, and runs it through, um, uh, you, once you go through the electrolyzer, that's rated in KW also. So at Stone Edge Farms up in, up in the Sonoma County, famous microgrid, they have 2.3 KW electrolyzers. They're stacked up into a 28 KW unit. So uh, yes, in the future, there'll be household units. I was just reading about a household uh, configuration out of Germany. It's got about 6 kW of solar. It's got about 5 kW of electrolyzer capable. It's got hydrogen storage for longer term storage. It's got batteries for shorter term storage. It's a new element in our system, but it could be used, could be used at, the, at the very distributed level, at the residential level. It could be at the power plant level, which is what I'm gonna talk about a little bit later. We're talking about really big scale electrolyzing of, of resources. All right, so regardless of the scale, once you've extracted the hydrogen, and you're able to store it, then what is it good for? Where, how, how, what's its application? You know, that's the amazing, it's, it's the magical thing because uh, I've already talked about burning it. And uh, as you know, I've been very involved in a power plant controversy here in Glendale where I live and I've been on the Water and Power Commission. And one of the things that I'm hoping is that we can put in a limited amount of natural gas and then convert the power plants to hydrogen in the future, right? So, that, so hydrogen can be combusted. Uh, in, a, in a power plant. Um, it can also be used uh, in cars. We talked about the Toyota Mirai. Uh, it can also be used in trucks. 
Um, and then, of course, what one of the major players um, in the fuel cell world is Bloom Energy. And so they're producing all these fuel cells that are sort of ideal for big box stores. And so I'm just trying to give you a sort of a sense that this could happen at a, at a lot of, in a lot of, there's a lot of different applications for hydrogen. But the most exciting thing is that by using hydrogen, by electrolyzing water, creating green hydrogen, we have a fuel for transportation, right? Mm -hmm. so, so as we've gone through this whole process of electrifying our society and our buildings, that's great. We know how to do that with heat pumps and all, but, but we haven't had a solution for vehicles, right? Except, uh, except for the electric vehicles which rely on batteries. But, but all of a sudden now we have a means of uh, producing a green fuel using renewable, re using renewable power. So it opens up, broadly it opens up climate action uh, planning. Right, because there's like biofuels that can be used, but this is really in its own class, right? As a as a fuel that we can use to for transportation in particular. Yeah, yeah, it can be used for transportation. It can be used for buildings. It can be used for industry. It's 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 a it's across the board, and it's it's always seemed like a tragedy to me. You hear here in California, we hear about oh, we have to curtail some wind production. We have to curtail some solar production. You know, when our production far exceeds our usage as a society here in, in California. Well, this changes that because all of a sudden you take all that excess wind and all that excess solar, and we're going to have a lot of offshore wind coming on board here soon. You take all that low cost excess and you electrolyze it and you create hydrogen that you can use later. So I have to ask, if this is such an obvious solution, why hasn't it been done? Ah, well, <laughs> it's a costly solution, right? Yeah. Uh, producing hydrogen, unfortunately, there are no, like I said, there's no wells full of hydrogen or mines full of hydrogen, so you have to produce it. And uh, that's been one of the issues is that it's been a relatively, especially green hydrogen has been quite expensive. Uh, we measure hydrogen in kilograms. Mm -hmm. And so a kilogram of green hydrogen has been about 10 to $15. Now that, that cost has come down to the three to six dollar range, but that all has to be compared with, with old fashioned hydrogen, which is basically gray hydrogen, stripped hydrogen off of methane, and that comes in at about the two dollar range. So it's still an it's still an expensive um, technology. It's an expensive fuel, and actually, the Department of Energy just announced what they call the hydrogen shot initiative, mm -hmm. where the goal is to bring down the cost of clean hydrogen to, you know, a dollar. A kilogram. So, primarily, it's cost. I would say that has uh, that has held back the, the adoption of green hydrogen. And how how far would a, a kilogram of hydrogen fuel get you in a in a in a Toyota Mirai? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I've checked in with my buddy Paul Carey, who's got a Mirai, and the Mirai holds about five or six um, kilograms. And each kilogram gets around 60 miles. So 60 miles of, per kilogram, somewhere in there. I, I think I use 75 in my, some of my modeling to kind of figure out how much it would take to, to, to handle a car fleet. But um, yeah, that's about that. Where, where's the Toyota Mirai actually getting that fuel from? Like, can you explain what the, a day in the life of a Toyota Mirai actually looks like? Well, there are- you know, like is happening on board or? No, 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 you know, my buddy Paul and anybody who's got a Mirai uh, drives to a hydrogen fueling station and they are few and far between. 
Yeah. Uh, but he happens to have one really, he lives somewhere near Irvine in Orange County, and he happens to have one that, that he goes to. Now, he when he's getting hydrogen, I don't think there's any guarantee that it's green hydrogen. That may be hydrogen that's stripped off of natural gas. So um, mm -hmm. that's a transitional issue. Uh, I think in the future, we're going to all want to have green hydrogen. We're not going to want to take hydrogen from natural gas. But So he's fueling. And, and one of the great advantages, by the way, when you think about an electric vehicle, it takes hours and hours to charge. Or if you go to level three mm -hmm. or even higher than that, maybe it's a half an hour at the best, probably for an electric vehicle, maybe 20 minutes for the Porsche that's just out. But, you know, you can fill a hydrogen uh, fueled vehicle in about three minutes. It's just oh, like that's that. very nice. And then you've got, you know, you got four or 500 miles or 400 miles of range. So it's a, you can see the advantage of that. In fact, when I first when we first you and I first came to California back in 1998, there was a big movement to create something called the hydrogen highway. And that was a, a major policy initiative uh, in the Brown administration to have hydrogen fueling stations all up and down I-5 in California so that you could do these long distance commutes. And then uh, lithium ion batteries kind of stole the show and everybody mm. got excited about electric vehicles and, and there's been very little focus on hydrogen fueled vehicles. But I think that may, that may change as the economics uh, are adjusted over time. Yeah. And like you said, it sounds like the Department of Energy is taking this pretty seriously. Um, oh, and, the, and the Biden administration just uh, put out $9.5 billion uh, to stimulate hydrogen hubs, clean hydrogen hubs and hydrogen electrolysis, electrolyzer technologies, just what we were talking about, making those electrolyzers more efficient. Again, all to drive down the cost of hydrogen to make it a viable fuel. I, and I'm not suggesting that it would take over from right. batteries. I'm just suggesting that it's, a, it, it's something we need to keep our eyes on because it's got so many different applications and so many opportunities. And it's kind of an infinite resource, right? Because we make it. Well, that's the beauty yeah. of the water. H2O yeah. splits apart H and O. And then, you know, then we're able to use that uh, so that's that's green hydrogen but i understand there's a spectrum <laughs> there's a rainbow of different kinds of hydrogens could you break it break it down for us what is yeah, the yeah, difference I, I, and I, what I, why I does a, it matter i get a big kick out of all the colors of hydrogen that people are talking about but we so far we've talked about stripping hydrogen from methane and that's usually called gray hydrogen right it's sort of the dull stuff and you know, it's the industrial stuff and then we've talked about green hydrogen that we use, we get by electrolyzing water. But then there's something called blue hydrogen. And that's when you strip hydrogen off of methane, you split that CH4, and then you capture the carbon and you sequester the carbon and you put it underground and you store it. So, so that's called blue hydrogen. It's a little bit better than, than, certainly better than the gray hydrogen. There's brown hydrogen, that's made with coal. That's probably the worst of all. And then pink hydrogen, people have talked about which is a, a sort of a scientist dream, I guess, or a, a maybe a nuclear physicist dream. And that would be to use the, the waste, the high temperature nuclear waste heat to increase the efficiency of electrolyzers uh, in, in, creating, in creating green hydrogen. So, and, and by the way, the US Department of Energy and the, the, the hydrogen challenge, um, the, the US DOE is very careful to, to not use the term green hydrogen they're using the term clean energy. And what that means is they're including nuclear and they're, inc they're including natural gas that is, that is uh, where the carbon is sequestered. So 
Um, my passion is not so much the clean energy pathway or the clean hydrogen, but it's really to get us to the 100% green hydrogen. Yeah, and critics say the green hydrogen is, is too far off and too expensive. What, yeah, do, we, what I, do we say back to them? <laughs> Yeah, we talked about that. I think that there's so the, the costs are going to come down so fast because there's there's so much need, there's so much opportunity, and and I, I you know as I you know you know I publish I publish this newsletter forever, EcoNet News, and there's so much news about hydrogen production right now because it's so it's so important to our climate uh, future. So if it's okay with you, let me just let me just lay out you know, three or four or five projects that kind of give me sort of pause. I, I realize okay. that if all the majors are getting into this, you know, it's, it's going to be cost competitive sooner than we think. So right off the bat, Saudi Arabia, um, you know, the petro powerhouse, the petrochemical powerhouse in the world has already stated it wants to be number one in the $700 billion hydrogen market. So it sees a huge opportunity here. It's, it's a state-owned oil company, Aramco, uh, has a huge green hydrogen project now called Helios. It's going to use four gigawatts of wind and solar. So that's 4,000 megawatts of wind and solar to generate hydrogen, uh, which they're already converting to ammonia, NH4, and shipping to Japan and other places. Uh, in the North Sea, the Germans are working with the British uh, and producing a, an offshore green hydrogen production a 500 megawatt electrolyzer capacity right off the bat. In Spain, Spain is boasting the largest integrated renewable and competitive hydrogen hubs called Hydeal España. Uh, and its goal is to produce competitively priced renewable hydrogen or green hydrogen to industrial, to industrial complexes throughout Europe. And they're creating something called the hydrogen stream in Europe right now. It's going to be 9.5 gigawatts of renewables. That's twice as big as the Saudi Arabian project. 7.4 gigawatts of electrolyzers uh, to create um, to create green hydrogen that can be converted can, can be converted to a number of different uh, energy products. In Texas, Texas is boasting uh, the green hydrogen hub near Houston. Uh, we'll use wind and solar excess on the ERCOT power grid to produce 2.5 billion kilograms of um, green hydrogen per year. So based on, this gets back to the Toyota Mirai and the, and the fuel efficiency of hydrogen, that, that's enough fuel, that one project, to fuel 15 million vehicles on an, you know, on, on an annual basis. Yeah, the Texas project, right? So it's a huge, it's a huge project. And then where would all of that, that hydrogen go? Well, they're, they're talking about, they actually have salt caverns there that they're gonna store it and then they're gonna pipe it to different ports. Uh, they're going to put turn so it's going to go into you know, ammonia and go off and so others is going to go to fertilizers and others is going to go to fuels for uh, power plants and we get blended into the pipeline so a lot of different applications. I want to point out in Los Angeles where I am that our, our gas company Southern California Gas has announced the Angeles Link, which is a massive new project uh, involving maybe as much as 750 miles of brand new pipelines. And it, will, and it will electrolyze excess solar and wind out in the desert uh, and then pipe and electrolyze it and then pipe that to Los Angeles. And the plan is to power four power plants in Los Angeles, three and three million vehicles plus key industries with green hydrogen. So this is getting pretty close to home. And by the way, that is that will be serving 25 percent 
of a Southern California gas's load. Um, so that's something wow. of interest to me because I'd like to see our utility, Glendale, get in on that project. There's more, there's more and more and more projects. They're just, the more you read about this, Bloomberg uh, Energy News is tracking electrolyzer production and watching what's happening in, in this space. And I just say it's, it's moving really fast. So what what slide what size slice of the pie do you see hydrogen fuel accounting for in this clean energy future? Boy, that's a I I I don't know <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I don't know uh, you know if you think about different sectors uh, let's just take passenger vehicles uh, what what might that be what might that look like uh, you know would we have if, they, if it gets cost competitive and there's hydrogen fueling stations all over the place they, they have that advantage of the range they and the, and the quick refueling you know maybe 25 percent or something um, I think what excites me again getting back to my role and working with utilities here is that is there's been a real reluctance in our society to have any gas fired generation anymore, right? Hmm. And it's very, very difficult to have reliability on a power grid without any fossil fuels. Uh, you know, it's just tough. It's just tough to match different load profiles and have 100% reliability. So I'm really excited. Uh, and this goes for microgrids and this goes for utility grids about how hydrogen could fuel some combustion to provide us with a green source of electricity, a combusted source, a thermal source, when we really need it, not as our base load, but just for our, for our peaking plants. Okay, so it has, in your, from your vantage point, a very specific opportunity and role in sort of moving, decarbonizing our energy system and transportation system as well. Yeah. Um, so you did mention the kind of conflicts with the electric cars and how the kind of lithium ion battery really stole the show, but how, how do these two technologies um, work together? Um, yeah, I think they're complementary. I, I don't think it's a, I don't think that one is better than the other. And I think it, I think this just kind of makes us rethink a little bit. I mean, think about building decarbonization. Uh, think about a high rise building and, and, and the number one uh, challenge of decarbonizing that building it's got an oil furnace in it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's in New York City or somewhere. It's got an oil furnace in it. And, you know, to put in a heat pump, an electric heat pump, is a really costly thing to do and a very, very, cha very challenging thing to do, uh, especially in, in building retrofits, easier in new construction. So hmm, maybe in some cases, some of those furnaces could combust hydrogen right? Mm -hmm. Or renewable natural gas, which is sort of a transition or fuel there. So and that would be possible to translate, to transition them to? Well, I, th I think there's going to be a lot of technological um, um, challenges to do, to, to convert from natural gas to hydrogen. In fact, some of the engines that we're looking at for our power plant here in Glendale, they can burn 15% hydrogen, a blend of 15% hydrogen. They've tested out at 50% but they have to be, somehow they have to be reconfigured uh, to be 100% hydrogen. There, there will be some retooling, but I do think, again, getting back to building decarbonization, I think that having hydrogen all of a sudden just provides us with another option in some of these cases. I mentioned to you one of the earlier that people like to cook on gas, right? And it's been, a, you know, it's been really contentious. You don't take my, you take away anything you want, but don't take away my stove, my cook stove. So, well, well maybe we can cook on hydrogen, you know, in, in the future. 
and have that flexibility. I know that there's going to be some issues of getting the pressure right, and 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 hydrogen is a very uh, small molecule, so it leaks, and you got to make sure that the pipes are everything is better, tighter than it was even with the methane system. But but lots of opportunities there. Um, we may be able to upcycle some of the machinery and mechanics that are that we're currently relying on. I think so. I think so. I think instead of a wholesale change, this may be allow for uh, for a bit of a transition, um, especially in in, new, in uh, existing buildings. You know, well, and you you mentioned some great examples, um, and obviously there's a lot of technological discovery and research that's going on in this space. But can you identify a community or a a country or a region who have successfully integrated hydrogen fuel into their operating system as a whole? You know, the only one that I can think of um, is Iceland and, you know, that where they have, uh, which, which I toured uh, fascinating time studying in Iceland energy systems and they have all that geothermal there. And so they've, they've used geothermal to completely to power their country electricity wise, and they've used geothermal to heat their buildings as well. And they still had more geothermal than they knew what to do with. So they electrolyze water in Iceland and they sell hydrogen fuel for their cars, right? So it, again, there's a good example where you've sort of, you've taken care of electricity, decarbonized electricity. And by the way, Iceland used to use coal from Poland, right? So they, they, they shifted hundred percent from coal to hundred percent geothermal for electricity. All the heating used to be done with heating oils, probably from the Middle East uh, and the North Sea and, and you know other places. That's all gone. All the heating is done with geothermal and now transportation, which is typically that last third in the climate action plan is being done with hydrogen. So it, the, the key is, and, and the, the key is that you need a cheap source of electricity to create the hydrogen. And that's what, you know, if you've got geothermal or I'm very, as you know, I'm very bullish on the future of offshore wind here in California. I think that will enable us to have hydrogen at comp this competitively priced. That's great. So it feels like a really exciting trend and technology and opportunity, but I can imagine some of our viewers are just sort of like, well, I guess there's not much I can do now. I'll just kind of sit back and watch, but to kind of counteract that, what, what actions could you know, people at home take to either become more educated or somehow advocate for um, hydrogen fuel cell or, yeah, do you have any resources or ideas for people at home who might want to be part of the solution? Yeah, I think it's kind of stay tuned. Um, I, I thought about my own house, you know, I've got solar and, you know, do I want to put in an electric, you know, do I want to, you know, in, in, install sort of a very early stage electrolyzer and then understand how to store hydrogen or put it into the tank of a hydrogen car. You, you gotta be a pioneer to wanna do that. And some people are, it, you know, Stone Age Farms, the microgrid is doing a great job with showing how all this fits together. Yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that as an individual, like I'm ready to take any personal action, but I am interested in from a policy standpoint and I hope our, our listeners are too, because I think the green hydrogen opens up some more avenues, some more options for us as we go forward that, that we hadn't had before. There's a great source of information. It's called the Green Hydrogen Coalition. Mm -hmm. Green Hydrogen Coalition, they've got a fantastic website. 
they've got a guidebook on green hydrogen, which is really, really fantastic. And uh, I recommend it. They also put on webinars on that. Okay. So it's good, so good resources there. I think it's just a matter of being of, of staying tuned. I don't think we should change our vehicle patterns or our, our, our plans about uh, decarbonizing our buildings right yet. But again, this is going to be a really important piece of the puzzle. I do want, I know there's just a couple minutes, but I do want to point out that it's something that just came to my attention uh, the other day or actually in the past couple of weeks. And that is that, is that when you combust hydrogen, and that's done at a, a high temperature, uh, over 1200 degrees centigrade, you did, there is some NOx, some nitrous oxides that are formed in that combustion process. And that's alarming to me. And it's alarming to many people that are advocates of green hydrogen. And if you think about it, how does that work? Because hydrogen is just H, where do you get the N, right? It turns out, I, and I'm, I'm not gonna be at all scientific here, but there is a, there is a mechanism here, it's called the Zeldowich mechanism. It's a principle, but wherever you've got a high temperature flame, could be whatever kind of a flame, nitrogen that's in the air, remember nitrogen is 78% of the air, nitrogen is sucked into the process and nitrous oxides are created. So that's gonna be a, I, I don't see that as an insurmountable issue, but I think it's important that we are aware of the issue. And when we establish policies, we're gonna to have to figure out how do, we, how do we scrub those knocks out of combustion. Remember the best way to use hydrogen is in a fuel cell. There is no combustion, it's an electrochemical reaction. There's no, nothing but water vapor coming out of it. But it, when we are combusting it, we're gonna to have to be aware of this, this one NOx issue. Yeah, well, I'm sure there's the multiple hurdles that we'll have to overcome, but all in all, it sounds like hydrogen and green hydrogen in particular has <clears throat> huge potential. Is there any kind of final words you want to leave with our listeners before we wrap up here? No, I think you, I think you, you summed it up really well. There will be challenges, um, but the potential is fantastic. And, you know, for somebody like myself, a strategic planner in this space, you know, we want to, it's, it's going to be tricky going to get into 100% carbon free. So to have a fuel that you can throw into a power plant or you put into fuel cells when you need it like this is, is as I've said, probably two or three times this half hour. It just gives another strategic option that I think is really, really valuable. Right. That doesn't quite exist with other renewables. So we've learned that hydrogen, there's a, there's a rainbow of hydrogen. We, we like green hydrogen the best. Uh, it's a valuable, versatile element with profoundly positive impact on our carbon-free future. Can replace carbon in many ways, um, as it's versatile for, for cars and trucks and boats and power plants um, through this electrochemical conversion. And we've got some, some work to do on it, but there's a lot of investments going into it, and there's a lot of exciting development happening. Um, so it's reason for optimism, it sounds to me. Um, so thank you, Dad, so much for your time today. And for those of you who've been able to tune in, um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks as we break down some other topics. Very good. Thank you. Good, All good. right. Take care, everybody. Happy Friday.